Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Gaze on Film. This podcast is where we, gays, talk about what we've been watching. I'm Ned. And I'm Declan. And coming up is spoiler reviews and discussion on Elvis, The Black Phone and Fire Island. I need to apologise straight away for the sniff, the hair fever sniffles yeah. that are going to be peppered throughout this episode pretty much every time I speak, so... That's, That's okay. there first. It's a terribly high pollen count this week. It is, so. very. So, want to reiterate <laughs> that there is lots of spoilers in these discussions. So, you pretty much have to... Have, I would recommend that you've seen the films. Yeah, or at least don't mind spoilers. No. I mean, Elvis you can't really spoil, I guess, in a way. Cause yeah, it's a biopic. It's a biopic. There shouldn't be any surprises, really. No, but we can spoil the others quite quite a lot for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought we'd maybe start with what the plans for the podcast are, which is unique to the first episode because we wouldn't talk about this every time. Yeah. But we just thought we'd start it because we go to the cinema all the time. We have loads of discussion, post, podcast. Uh, no, not post, podcast. Post film, post viewing. Um Ned's a lot better at me than at getting his words out, aren't you? I don't know. You seem to think so. No, you are. Okay. Um, and, yeah, so we'll just see how this goes. I'm sure you'll be a lot better at eloquating. I'm doing it now. Eloquating. Is that the word? No. But what is the word? I don't know. That's a... It's a... Not a word. Like putting into words, what what is the word for putting into words? Um, <laughs> Great there, start. There is a word, and I always have to think of it, and sometimes I land on it, but most of the time I don't know it. Oh, well, maybe Ned won't be that good at putting things into words, but we'll try. You've set people up with too high an expectation yeah. of me now. Yeah. <laughs> so we go to the cinema lords, we watch loads of telly, um, and we like reviewing them, and thought our unique perspective of being gay might be very unique very unique perspective yeah. might be a bit of of a different perspective <laughs> god with the words today hey, maybe even a few weeks in we'll have a better vocabulary as well maybe i think my vocabulary will be good once i actually get into film and yeah, tv yeah yeah probably but this i feel like i'm yeah. Bumbling a bit. Oh, we also should mention. Oh, Also <laughs> should mention that because there's so many spoilers, so people aren't put off from listening to a whole episode. We'll put the timestamps in the episode notes. notes. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you can skip the bits you don't want to listen to. 
yeah, so if you've just seen Elvis and think, oh, I'd quite like to listen to that bit, we can, you can just kind of listen yeah. to that bit. But as a little um, extra in the episode that isn't spoilerific, we thought, like, I've always loved film trailers and quite often I'm, all, I'm so hyped for a trailer and then when I get into the actual film, I end up being disappointed because the trailer was way better than the film. Mm. But we thought we'd start with a segment. This is a segue, have you noticed? A segue. Mm. Um, we thought we'd start with a segment that we're going to call Trailer Trash or Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have a feeling most of them will be treasure because we'll pick trailers that are good. Oh, we have to have them. They've only come out in the last seven days, though. All oh, right, okay. So when we record, we will choose a trailer in the last seven days that's come out that we would like to discuss. Because part of what I love about movies is like looking forward to all the movies that are coming soon. Yeah. Do you know what maybe we should do to make it less biased? What? Ask people. Do a randomizer. So we make a list of all the trailers that have come out this week, randomize it, and then we have to pick that one. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. Yeah. Or we could ask people. Yeah. You know, like our fans. <laughs> all of those many fans. <laughs> yeah. And say, like, if they were really mean to us and this awful trailer came out this week and, and somebody said, oh, do you want to do that on Trailer Trash or Treasure? TTT, <laughs> um, then that that could be quite a fun one. But we'll just see how it goes. We hope to build yeah. a nice little community of people that love film. And love listening to what we've got to say. Yeah. You know, from a queer mm. perspective, so I'm sure we'll have lots of queer fans. But if you are straight, you are welcome. Um, Only if you're an ally, though. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want any homophobes, transphobes. Forbes in general. Yeah. Um and we'll see how it how it goes. Build a little community of, oh. of film lovers. Um and I once again sorry for the sniffles, but let's get into this week's or this episode's because I don't think it's gonna be weekly. <laughs> um Trailer Trash or Treasure. So we went with The Woman King. Would you like to open the discussion on The Woman King. Well, for me, it's obvious treasure. Obvious, obvious yeah. Obvious treasure. Like, start with Viola Davis. Yeah. Hello, big fan. Yeah. Um, so I'm already excited for what that's going to come. But honestly, in three minutes, it looks like such an exciting film. Mm. Yeah. So Viola Davis has called this, which I have heard before, but I've only just known what it actually means. She's called it her magnum opus. Do you know what that means? No. I did Google it earlier. It was on, let me... <laughs> it's kind of like your best work. Magnum Opus. So, you know, like if someone's got... So a work of art, music or literature that is regarded as the most important or best work that that person has ever done. Oh, yeah. So she's calling it like, this is my Magnum Opus. Yeah. And I can understand from the trailer why she would potentially say that. Oh, absolutely. Like, following her on Instagram for, I don't know how long it has been now, but she's always spreading, like, black joy and black success. Yeah. And this is such an important story from when European colonists landed in Africa. Mm. Um, I feel like it's going to be... I hope it's reasonably historically accurate, because I feel like it's going to be a lot of people's, like, first view of not whatever we've been taught in school about yeah. colonialism. Yeah. 
Well, it's already got a tick from me because it doesn't do that slightly racist thing where when a film or TV show goes to Africa or India, they put that like filter over it to make it look as they call it like the the third world filter that oh, movie yeah. studios do. Yeah. Um. So it already doesn't do that, which is great. Yeah. Um. It's a female director as well, which is another plus, which you would hope when you look at the trailer, there are, I think, I noticed one man, John, I mean, Bi- John it, Boyega, yeah, and that I mean, was it. It's about an army of women, isn't it? Yeah. But even so, like, films before, even if they had, even if the premise was about an army of female warriors, they would yeah. still do it from a male perspective. Yeah, no, you're right. But this is quite a thing, though. We've got those... I can't remember what they're called in Black Panther. The Dore Malat. You know, the women fighters in Black Panther. I know who you mean, but I'm terrible at remembering names of things. Uh, Dore Malat. Something, anyway. But, yeah. Also got L- Lashana Lynch in it, which I thought was a big plus in No Time to Die. Yeah. When she was briefly 007. I can't remember how it was like. I feel like I've seen her in something else recently as well. She's also in... Um, she was... Was she Monica Rambo? In Captain Marvel, I think she was. You know the mum. Hmm. Oh, Maria Rambo. So Monica Rambo now is the daughter that's going to be in the next one, who was in oh, One Division. Yeah. yeah. So she was in that. Um, she's also going to be in Matilda the Musical, which is coming out later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all looks. So it's a trailer treasure. Oh yeah, this sure. one. Yeah. 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 When's it out? Um, earlier in the US, but we get it on the seventh of October in the UK. Lovely. So well, it I looks can't wait for a good. Yeah, a fantastic viewing. Um, yes. Coming up in October. Maybe it'll even make its way onto this podcast if we run that long. I'm sure we'll run to October. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. Um, shall we move on to the first film? Yeah, I was hoping we could find some sort of fun segue in there, but maybe we'll have to practice. Tribal women to Elvis. I can't really. No, it's not really landing, is it? No, I can't really. We'll think of something more subtle for next time. Okay, that's fine. Or hopefully we'll just find one. Anyway, into Elvis. So, um, at the beginning of when we review each film, I pretty much wanted to kind of say what did we expect. And what is the premise? But the premise of Elvis is pretty much the story of Elvis's life, um, which we find out, which I was shocked at, wasn't actually all that long anyway. Because I thought, how are they going to do all of somebody's life? You know when they do that silly... I hate that thing in films where they try to do a really long time. Yeah. And then they just put, like, wrinkled makeup on the same actor. And I literally hate when they do that. Yeah. So... I did think, oh, how are they going to do his full life? But I think they probably only covered, was it probably about 20 years? 15 years? Uh, well, he died at 42. Yeah. And I think we met him when he was in his early teens. Oh, but he was a different actor in his early teens. Do you remember when he was... Yeah. yeah. So from him being Austin Butler, he's probably in his 20s, wasn't he? Yeah. So it's quite realistic, really. Yeah. You can make someone look 42. Well, I mean, all they had to really do was make him gain a bit of weight, didn't they? Yeah, that's true. Oh, and Jaws is nearly 40 and he still looks 20. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what what did you expect from before going in? Well, I'm quite a fan of 
a few of Baz Luhrmann's older stuff. So yeah. I, when I when I saw it was Baz Luhrmann, I was like, oh well, it's not going to be disappointing, is it? But that's always kind of famous last words sometimes, isn't it? Uh huh. Um. I think I was expecting kind of a run of the mill. Uh, biopic about a musician, really. Like they do. I know. What? Nothing. I was like, I was going to ask you, like, is that what you got? Oh no. No. No, I didn't think it was at all like that. Oh, interesting. I thought it was a lot more creatively put together, and because it was told, it was like narrated by Colonel Parker. Yeah. Who really is the antagonist in Elvis's story? Really. Yeah. Or not that I knew that before, but because it was narrated by him, I thought it kind of. It threw the perspective a bit different to how you would get from other musical biopics. So I've thought in my notes that I thought that was quite an odd creative decision to tell it from the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker. Because Go on, why? Well, the whole story is how he kind of financially abused Elvis mm -hmm. and used him for his own gain. Yeah. And I just thought it was then weird to then use that and tell the story from his perspective, which I guess is what happened anyway. We almost didn't get Elvis as a person. We got Elvis with like this puppeteer yeah. above him. Yeah. So I get that, but it's almost like, let's break finally away from the shackles of Colonel Tom Parker mm. and tell an Elvis story from Elvis's perspective. But maybe because Elvis died so young, we don't really ever have his perspective to draw on. Yeah. Whereas Tom Parker was going through lawsuits and all sorts, so there'll be loads of resources to share his perspective. And what I thought worked well with having him be the narrator was that for the whole film, he was like, all we wanted was the best for Elvis. Yeah. I'm really a good guy. But in trying to convince the viewer that he's a good guy, he actually made himself out to be worse and worse and worse and worse as it yeah. went on. And all he cared about was making a quick book. But Elvis was all quite like personally tied to um, issues of like racial segregation. He was really hurt when um, Martin Luther King and John F. Kennedy were both assassinated. Yeah, that's right. I didn't and he know all to that. Be like a more of a political artist, yeah. or at least politically active. Um, but he just kept getting shut down and shut up by Colonel Parker just for the sake of making money that will sell to middle America. It's so weird to me, because it's not really that long of amount of time since that happened. No. And he was, like, seen as... Shaking your legs was seen as, like, a provocative thing. Oh my god, it was so funny the first time he did it on stage, though. Oh, all the women. And then I was like, how like, many women am I going to see watch orgasm in an audience? Each of, <laughs> each of those women in that scene made it so believable that they had lost complete control <laughs> and all they knew how to do was scream. scream. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I had like, a few laughs. It was like you were watching people's awakening. Yeah, like sexual awakening. Yeah. yeah, they were just screaming at this man. Shaking his hips, I mean, it's not... I mean, now, for God's sake, we've got, like, wet-ass pussy. Oh, yeah. You know, things have come 
far. Quite far. For now, for now. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just think it was that was a fascinating perspective, how he was liberal in America. Mm-hmm. And how they wanted to shut him down and how he had yeah. to put those suits on to kind of... You know, you can be Elvis, but you can't shake your hips or you, yeah. and you can't wear those provocative... Even though yeah. they weren't even that provocative and things. I'd be really interested to understand, like, what somebody who knows a lot more about racial segregation and, like, racism in America... Yeah. ...thinks of it, because I've heard, kind of, over the years, various criticisms that, kind of, black music couldn't hit the mainstream until a white guy, Elvis, did it. Yeah. But I think in this film, the black people around him that he was close to were supportive of that. Mm. And I'd be interested to see how that ties into a narrative of, you know, when someone has more of an understanding of the whole picture of racism in America. Yeah, I wanted to know, kind of like, when Elvis went into their spaces, how did they feel? Like well, he he grew up in. A I know he did, but I wonder so how he... they thought. You know, no, what we want our like, they had that singer who sang Tutti Fruity. Who was that? I always just think of um, Kennedy Davenport in that Snatch Game that that time. Oh, is that who Kennedy Davenport did? A little more Tutti, little more Fruity, baby. Remember that? <laughs> um, <laughs> that was what she I can did. see it, but I can't remember. Oh my name. God! What's the singer called? Well, anyway, but when I thought, I thought Elvis is going into these spaces, and like, I suppose on, with a modern lens, you could say kind of like, uh, what's the word where you where something of a culture and appropriation, pe- like it, it almost yeah, like mm. with a modern lens, you could say like he appropriated black yeah. music, yeah, and was really successful, yeah. But that wasn't his fault because he loved it and was just trying to shine a light on how much he loved it. But yeah. from that modern lens, you think, you know, isn't it a shame that a black artist couldn't have just been as successful as Elvis was? Yeah. So that was interesting. But they were literally held down by the law. Oh, I know, I know, yeah. Well, that's why Elvis was arrested, wasn't yeah. it? Because he was doing what black people did. Mm. And heaven forbid. Mm. So that, I did find that interesting. But I think for me, I think you were a lot warmer on this, the film than I was. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it was pretty much, even though with this unique perspective of telling it from somebody else and telling it from like the person who managed him, it was very much quite cut and, cut and paste biopic for me. And I know that happens because quite often these famous people like being abused they were given drugs like it reminds me a bit of when I was watching the Judy the Judy Garland film like how she was she was used and kind of you know led to her death and all that kind of stuff chewed up by the industry and spit out and it also reminded me of a little bit how they were giving him all those meds and he had a personal doctor it reminded me of the stories we've heard of Michael Jackson yeah literally just gonna say that Yeah. yeah so and I liked the Baz Luhrmann-ish of it. The glitz, the glamour. Yeah. Um, the visual effects was, very over... was really effective. Yeah, it was very over the top. The way it like, used that Vegas sign all the time, didn't yeah. it? Like, zoomed in and out on it. Yeah. It was very it was very Baz Luhrmann. Um, over the top. Which I think made an almost three hour long film 
comfortable to sit through. Because yeah. three hours is a long time to sit still. I don't think it was you. quite three hours. It's not far off. Was it not? I, think I thought it was like two and a half. I thought it was 2.49. Oh, oh, was it that long? I think so. Oh my God. I suppose that includes credits. Yeah. It was long. The yeah. last note I put is in capitals long. But I didn't enjoy it as much as you did. So I did feel like I was clock watching a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, I think probably the film, it reminded me the more, and I've not actually seen it all the way through, but just what it looked like. And I know you like the film. It reminded me more of Moulin Rouge out of anything of Baz Luhrmann's done. Well, yeah, that, yeah. Um, I was getting very, very that vibe, but then I suppose that's quite a Luhrmann style. Yeah. Just over the top, isn't it? Yeah. Magical realism, I think they call it. Because like it almost phrase. has that, like, tint to it. It looks like the way it's lit and yeah. everything. There was a few other bits I wanted to say. So another absolute plus for me mm. was Austin Butler. Oh, yeah. Like, he disappeared into it, and I think with Elvis, with yeah. how many um, tribute acts there are out there, yeah. it could very, very quickly have become... A bit of a cheese fest. Oh, my God, yeah. It could it, To get that balance right, but I really think, especially with young Elvis, yeah, he was so, so good. And well, I, even how they aged him at the end. I had to ask you afterwards whether it was, was that him or whether it was a clip of Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. But it was Austin Butler. Yeah, because they even wove in clips, yeah. didn't they? And you were like, oh, he actually does really look like yeah. him. Like, what's the... Do-? So, yeah, and he's really obviously... Well. I will If Elvis does well, I think it's doing fairly well at the box office. And it normally with not, like, a, award-type films that come out later in the year, because apparently yeah. the Academy can't remember things if they come out earlier in the year. Yeah. So, but if it... If it keep, if it keeps its traction, I can see some award nominations being thrown his way, and obviously Warner Brothers as a studio. This mm. is where I get a bit kinky about stuff. But <laughs> Warner Brothers as a studio obviously like him because they've now hired him to be in June too. So you know they were obviously very impressed with what he did mm. there, so they've kept him for that. So I can see his career going from. Strength to strength. Yeah. What was interesting, the people that were in the running for it. So Harry Styles was in the running for the role. Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Miles Teller, um, and a few others, but they're the main ones. Apparently Miles Teller lost out to Elvis, and then Austin Butler lost out to Top Gun Maverick. So it was like a bit of a swap. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. He was. Austin Butler was in... I swear he was in Tarantino's last film. Yeah, he was. Only for a short amount of time. But he hasn't done much. Well, he's done films, but not, mm. like, major roles. But, yeah, he was in He was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for a bit. Um, I think he played... He was in um, The Serial Killer it was about. Well, I can't remember who it was all about. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I'm not sure. He lived in, like, his cult. Marilyn Ma- No. Click on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Da, 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 da. The Tate murders. So he was in whoever whoever murdered Sharon, Sharon Tate. Uh-huh. So he was in that briefly. Um, but, yeah, can definitely see his career going from strength to strength. One thing that I really, really 
did not get along with was Tom Hanks. No. Which pains me to say because I love Tom Hanks. Yeah. But I hate when they use fat suits. The only fat suit I've liked recently is Colin Farrell as the Penguin. But I think that was fine because it wasn't a real... He was a real pet, but he wasn't an actual person. Mm. He was a comic book villain. It was a bit... Yeah, it's supposed to be different. a bit yeah. odd, isn't it? But I don't like when they do that. Um, no, it just lands... It just when doesn't it look right. it should be a serious role and it just lands like a caricature, it just kind of it detracts ever so slightly from the vibe, I think. Yeah, and I just didn't particularly get on with his performance very well. Um, so, well, that was a I bit found disappointing. Myself, with the scenes with him in, I found myself not really caring about anything he had to say, other than the narration he was doing kind of in the voiceover bits. Yeah. For his actual scenes, I was like, hang on, shut up, I want to hear what this person has to say. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I just didn't like it. It also reminds me of COVID. I don't know if you know this, but um, when Tom Hanks, do you remember when Tom Hanks got COVID and the world was like, oh my God, Tom Hanks has got COVID. Like, how bad is it now that he's got it? Because he was like one of the first Famous people. I don't know why I did the fingers because he is famous. Well, it's but... alright, nobody can see. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but I don't. He was one of the first famous people to get it, but he got it on set of Elvis when they were filming in oh, Australia. Did he? Yeah, so that's how long ago it was filmed as well. Wow. So it's quite a while ago. Um, yeah, it was one of those films that was shut down. I think it started filming in the January. Covid hit in the March, so yeah. it was shut down for months, and that. But yeah, he got Covid. Um, um, other casting wins for me though. Okay. Olivia. Dion, sorry about the surname if I said that wrong, for Priscilla Presley. I thought she did a brilliant job. And also Helen Thompson as Elvis's mum. I loved her. Oh, yeah, she, she was quite good, actually. Yeah, she delivered yeah. a southern mum really well Yeah, to me. So, Bechdel? Don't think it passed. No, I don't think it did. I don't recall a conversation that wasn't about a man between two women. Yeah. Because I think if any conversation that was Priscilla was having with another woman was probably about, about Elvis. Elvis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vito Russo? No. Doesn't pass, but oh, would, like I know. To, would like to nod to the, the gay little son. thing. Yeah, the senator or politician who turned out to be racist and a bit of a knobhead. Yeah. Um, his son was watching in awe just as all the female... Uh, relatives in the room were. I know, I noticed that. I was like, oh, look at that little smirk. He he obviously likes Elvis's hips as well. All those little gay teens out there can feel seen for that moment in this film. Um, yeah. But still, no no pass to the Russo, unfortunately. No, Uh, no. Not that I was expecting it. No, I wasn't. I wasn't really expecting it to pass the Bechdel test either. No. Um, how many stars did you give it? So I gave it four. And I gave it three. Yeah, it got an average on Letterboxd of 3.6. Oh, right, okay. Um, so I liked it a bit more than a lot of people. I definitely think you will get more from it if you were a big Elvis fan. So my mum has told me that for the last half hour, my grandma was crying. Yeah. And then we were sat on the back row of I was in it, and I had some old biddies next to me on the left, and I could hear them sniffling and crying. I don't listen and know who they are. After you've just called them old biddies. Well, they were. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a, probably a plus. Yeah. You know, your grandma will like it more than potentially you will. Yeah. Or they'll get different things from it than what you would. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. Shall we move on to the black phone? Shall we? Yes. So, the premise of this one 
Ace. <laughs> in the, so, in the film, an abducted teenager uses a mysterious telephone to communicate with the previous victims of his captor. Did you write that yourself? No, I'm reading it off the Wikipedia page. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it is directed by Scott Derrickson, who came to this film having left Multiverse of Madness. For artistic differences. Yeah, it was all a bit... I'm always curious what that means. I always... So, I always remember... I'm a bit... I love watching the Comic-Con when Marvel go to Comic-Con and do the big intro things. And Scott Derrickson came out and said, um, Multiverse of Madness is going to be Marvel's first horror film. And I remember thinking, that's bold. And it did end up being a bit horror. But I would I would say maybe Scott Derrickson really wanted to push the horror element and Marvel were like, we can't go to OTT. I suppose I get that. Um, but I don't think he came to this and pushed the horror element particularly. Well, apparently he was working on this before, Multiverse of Madness as well. So right. it's an adaption of a short story... Adaptation, sorry. Of a short story written by... Joe Hill. Yes. Um, who is... Um, it's the pen name. He's better known as pen name, but he's Stephen King's son. Yes. Yeah. So... Obviously, horror runs in the family with those lot. Um, what did you What did you expect going in? Like, what 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 was your expectations? Um, I thought it was gonna be jumpy, a bit creepy. Yeah. Uh, but nothing too disturbing. No. Like the type of horror film that I could probably have watched at fifteen, and it wouldn't have ruined my life. Yeah. Like some of the horror films that I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I think, to be honest, that's that's what I got. Same for me. Yeah, it was pretty um, much... People have been talking about it a lot as if it was... Like, I've seen it a lot mentioned in Empire magazine. I've seen yeah. a lot of people kind of being excited about it more than you would necessarily get with just a run-of-the-mill horror film kind Sometimes of thing. Sometimes I think that's part to do with casting now because obviously they've got Ethan Hawke as... Yeah. As the grabber, yeah, um, and with him being in the MCU recently as well, obviously there's a bit of talk about him, so it kind of keeps it on people's radar, yeah, a bit more, doesn't it? Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I mean, generally I liked it as a as a horror film. It didn't push any boundaries for me. No, but I liked the way the story set itself up, and it concluded in a way that I foresaw. Which made me, you know, I always feel a little bit, like, superior when I do that. Because loads of films, someone will, like, lean over and be like, this is how it's going to end. And I'll, I'll have not seen it coming. With this but film, you did with this one? I think I saw... Oh, uh, right, okay. Yeah, it was, I didn't see it. Like, I didn't even... What, do you remember when we came out and I said, I don't understand how he could use the phone? Uh, that, that plot point... Was totally lost oh, on went, me. Yeah, it went over your head, didn't it? Really did. I was like, how come he can hear the phone? And it, the premise is that basically all of the family can like communicate with so, ghosts and spirits. Yeah, so Finney and Gwen, the sort of main Oh, you know the names. Children, yeah. Oh, wow, you prepped. <laughs> no, they're easy to remember. <laughs> and they did really good. Like, I think the actors played those two roles brilliantly. So yeah. I think they've just stuck in my head. Basically, their mum, who died prior, 
used to have psychic dreams and I think it probably led to a part of the breakdown of their marriage their marriage or at least left something unresolved when she died so their dad sort of spiralled into this um, void of kind of alcoholism and abuse um, of the two two kids which was sad to see Um, yeah but yeah the reason that he was able to hear this disconnected, weird, creepy phone in the basement was because he has that psychic link in the family, I think. And well, it, that's what you took from it, but I, I was yeah. like, how was he even using that for? And it but... did allude to Ethan Hawke's character being the only other person who can hear the phone, which I think maybe has fed into why he's such a... Um, psychopathic killer what because he can hear the phone and it drives him mad oh right okay yeah I get that I get that so I've put that I do like horror films that kind of prey on childhood fears a bit Mm. I do think they're normally quite effective yeah and I don't know about you but I think everyone at school was kind of told about a rumour about a man grabbing children at some point Stranger danger. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I always remember there was this, there was the rumour that, like, there was a guy in a white van going round and grabbing children. I mean, if that was actually true, I'm Mm. sure it would have been talked about more, but it was all this, like, hush-hush thing. And when I was at primary school, I literally lived, I could see my house from the field. And I remember walking home, and if a white van went past me, I was absolutely terrified Mm. that they were going to grab me. Mm. So I do like when... Like, it does that, doesn't it? It, like, uses all of the characters, kind of... Well, the thing about it... It's like it preys on your insecurities and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, So, I do like that. Um, I love that you didn't kind of see the scary person for a while. You didn't see the grabber for a while. Yeah, it was really intentional that all of the camera angles didn't show his face. You just had this kind of, like, foreboding... You knew you knew kids were being grabbed. Yeah. You knew something was happening, but you didn't really understand, like, who it was or whatever. Yeah. And then even the way he was introduced felt, like, really quite unnerving because you knew it was him mm. when the our... What was the character's the young boy called did you Finney. say when Finney bumped into him you knew but you didn't feel like oh was he even going to grab him like yeah. it was a bit yeah it was almost like because you'd seen his face now it was like disarming yeah it yeah. was like oh maybe he won't get grabbed yeah but then obviously he does because that's the premise yeah the mask was really good masks oh yeah well it, it was kind of a mask but then you could take different bits off it couldn't yeah. you so he had like a different mouth expression. Yeah. Um, that was actually quite a creepy thing that I saw coming because I was like, well, if he set this up, it's going to happen. But it still nonetheless was creepy. Was when he brought food down to Finney for the first time and his face was in the shadows. I was like, he's going to have some terrifying expression on that mask next. And then he stepped forward after Finney said something that made him pissed off. And he had a really angry mask on. Yeah. 
Mm. It was quite scary. It was. It points to work. And I always, when I feel there's a jump scare coming, I cover my eyes or I look. I, not like totally, but <laughs> I I'm. I feel you looking I at can me. always, <laughs> like, I always, like, just kind of cover them slightly so I'm not giving it all of my undivided attention. Yeah. But even I didn't see a few of them coming. Yeah. So that's when you think, oh, got me. <laughs> and I didn't like it. And I screamed. And then I start laughing because I've actually screamed in public. Yeah. Which is always a laugh. Last time I did that was when we went to see the latest. Oh, help me, help me, help me. Was it me. not when we went to see that one about the, like, the evil twin? What was that? I have no oh, idea. I can't remember what it was called. I remembered what the film is. I was thinking Malignant, about. I was oh, thinking of. I don't think I screamed in that. I laughed my head off at Malignant. That was so funny. That was a funny... Was that this year? No, it wasn't, was no, it? it must have been last year. Um, I love that film. What were you thinking um, of? The latest Conjuring film. We hadn't been together very long. In fact, I don't even know if we were an official couple of that time. Oh, it must have been last summer then. And I screamed... And then I was laughing for ages at the scream that I did. Yeah. But I love seeing horror films in an audience because everyone's just scared and it's funny. Yeah, I think if you're a little bit nervous to watch horror films but don't want to miss out on the best ones, seeing them in the cinema is way better than seeing them at home, especially if they're set in a house because you can freak yourself out. But if they're in the cinema and you get to laugh at other people screaming, it at least kind of <laughs> breaks the tension a bit. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I felt like at points you could tell it was a short story, fleshed out a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were a few scenes where the dialogue was kind of a bit too on the nose. Yeah. It was just there for the sake of it. Yeah. And it was still quite short. It was only like 90, was it 90 minutes? Yeah, Ish. Um, but, and it was entertaining enough, but I, I don't know what it was. It, it, when I finished, it just left me feeling a little bit cold. I was just like, I think basically it was fine. It was fine. It did all the things that an all right horror film will do. Yeah. It set up the story. It planted seeds of whatever's going to happen in the end throughout. And then it concluded with a reasonably heartwarming scene. Yeah. And I don't think... I, I I wrote, I don't think I'll think about it anymore and I pretty much haven't since I've seen it to be honest. It didn't scare it didn't scare me in the sense that when I went home on the night I was scared. No, which I'm not mad about. No, because you were in, in the, the middle, middle of nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. Um so Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all I've all I've really got to say, to be honest. Did it pass back down? No. No. Don't think so. No, there wasn't enough did no female Children speak to each other. I don't think they did. Only about her brother. Now oh, was that it? Mm. Right. And there was no... There was no... And the only time female characters were talking was school kids at school about all the boys that were going missing. Yeah. So... Yeah. No. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. And I don't think it... Vita Russo, it didn't. There was no gays, no. was there? No. But I wasn't really expecting that either. No. Sometimes, like, I think when we use these tests, I'm not like, oh my god, it doesn't pass the Vita Russo, oh, no. I'm not watching it. Like, it, it, some stories, I think if you force queer representation into everything, when it really isn't needed well, sometimes. Well, that's the thing. If it's forced, then it doesn't pass the test. Yeah. Anyway, so. Mm. 
But yeah, no, I think it's just, it's not a criticism if they don't pass, but it's a nice way that we can connect all our conversations about all the films we're watching. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not How many stars? Not whinging. Uh, what did I give it? I gave it three. I gave it three. It got an average of 3.5 on Letterboxd. Oh. So yeah. people were more up on it than we were. Yeah, and Rotten Tomatoes was 83. I know, it was quite high. Yeah, which I was surprised And at. Empire gave it four, and I don't yeah. really understand why. Yeah. But I'm not in a very good mood with that magazine at the minute. <laughs> why? Because <laughs> they give... Well, this is a preview to potentially the next episode, but they give Thor Love and Thunder four star. And they're oh. all up on it when I listened, and I was like, did I watch the same film? Well, because... I don't want to hear any of your no, thoughts on it I know, I've seen it. We'll see it together, it I know. So, yes, but that could be, epi- I think it will be episode two, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And also, we're going to, this episode we've talked about like three films, some episodes might just be one, if we feel like we've got loads. That's how much we've got to say. Yeah, really. but I feel like with a Marvel film, because of all of the inter- interconnectedness of it, yeah. I could talk for a while. Mm. So, yeah. Um, so, three star from me, three star from you, so we agreed on that one. Yeah. Talking of representation in films, let's quickly move on to Fire Island. Oh, you're practising the segue there. I know. <laughs> it was good, though. Yeah. Um. So... Mm. This one came out on Disney Plus, which I always think sounds dead funny because Disney is not like a brand that releases films like this. No. Well, it's Star on Disney Plus, but it is Disney Plus. Yeah, it's a funny, a funny way for Disney yeah. branding to go, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So this one is inspired by Jane's Austen, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, which I didn't really understand that because I've not, I don't really know a lot about Pride and Prejudice. Do you know what I've watched? Did you even realise that from the look on your no, face that you just I was just going to say, yeah. I, I used to watch the Pride and Prejudice, is it Pride and Prejudice, with Keira Knightley in? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, I used to watch that, like, enough that I could probably roughly summarise the story of Pride and Prejudice, I think. But I didn't get any of Pride and Prejudice from Fire Island. It's just a love story, isn't it? For, uh... Fire Island, isn't it? So the premise is that it, the story follows a group of gay friends who go on vacation to Fire Island, um, which is known as kind of a, a gay place to go in America outside of New York, um, only for things to be complicated by classism, classism and romance. Um, oh, I get what they mean by the Pride and Prejudice stuff then. If they're talking it from a class perspective, but I think yeah. because it was an American film, Class in America is very different to class here. Whilst there is a class divide, mm. it's not quite the same. So I think I didn't get class from it. I got more gays being awful to one another from it. Yeah, I got kind of... Kind of what, I, what I found from it was that it was a critique of... Uh, social media gays where everybody could be copies and pasted from one another mm-hmm. and nobody's very different, particularly if you look at, like, um, the biggest sort of pride events or whatever. I think there's typically quite an issue of representation of, like, body types, races, ages, even down to, like, interests, though. Because yeah. I think a lot of the expectation of 
being gay and going to gay things is that you're just there to get pissed, get high and have lots of sex. Yeah. Which isn't always the case. Sometimes you can have fun without doing any of those three things. Mm. So I wonder if that's what they kind of call... So the scenes where the group went to that mansion... Yeah. And some of the gays were bitchy to them because they didn't fit in. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily get, like, a class thing from it. I just got, like, a... You're not a stereotypical... Ripped. Mm. Maybe, the class, maybe the class thing lands because to be a stereotypical ripped... <clears throat> gay, you need to have a particular amount of money. Maybe it's about budget. Maybe. Yeah. Um... It did make me laugh quite a lot. Oh yeah, I um, enjoyed it. I I loved the variety of the personalities that the group had. Um, mm. You know, there was like that one that was really gay, and it was almost he had like his little thongs on. Um, I can't remember the character's name, but he was funny. Um, there was just, I just liked the variety. I mean, they were all gorgeous still, which. Yeah. To try and be like, they're ugly, is hilarious, because I don't think a single person in this film was ugly. No. There was people that are potentially some of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. So maybe compared to them, they were ugly. You didn't think that, did you? Well, personally, I think you can look like an Adonis all you like, but if you're a bitch, then you're immediately ugly. So I'm talking about the guy who played Dex, Zane Phillips. I don't know who that is. The one who then ended up being problematic because he filmed oh, having yeah. sex. Yeah. Like yeah. he was the most potentially one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like I if know. he walked down the street past me, I would potentially gasp. Gasp aloud because aloud. You know, you, I've done that before. Yeah, you've got form for that. I have. Um um, but it was quite. But I think that's all. You're never going to get really ugly people when it's a film because nah. actors aren't ugly, are they? Nah. So, um, like to try and say that these are this group were like minging munters. But also, could you? Imagine, they just weren't at all. Could, could you imagine us sitting here and being like, "Do you know what? I loved this film because all of the cast are ugly." <laughs> yeah. No. No. No, but I'd like, <laughs> when they're trying to say that they're just like these second class queers. Yeah. They're not, I know they didn't fit into that Fire Island, what you would perceive as that stereotype. Well, I think. But maybe, I think that's what it was more, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Maybe the point was that they were, a di- all in their own different ways, a divergence from a cishet white mask. Yeah. Rich. Yeah. It's more the rich. I, d- I, I don't feel like we have that same dynamic in the UK amongst gay people. Um, in America, the same, you, there, there's a lot more films and a lot more content made about like the rich gays in America. Yeah. You know, like the ones that they say they could pass, you don't even I really realise are gay. I wonder if that's like... Oh, it doesn't matter that you're gay. You can still get rich if you work hard. Yeah. AKA American Dream. Yeah. We don't have that kind of... We don't kinda. have that. We have... We have the things where... There'll be some queer spaces where you don't feel like you belong. Because you'll go and you don't have 2% body fat. And... You know, there's all that. 100%. Yeah. 
I've been in places I'm like, I do not. I'm having fun, but I don't belong here. Yeah. And they'll almost be anxiety-inducing, knowing that you're going. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, oh my God, I'm got, where are we going tonight? Oh, we're going to this place. I'm like, oh God, really? Yeah. Um, this is, which is a shame, really, that there are queer spaces that would be so exclusive. Yeah. Because um, the kind of places I like to go to are the ones where, even if people are bitchy, they're never going to make you feel like you're unwelcome. Yeah. Well, I almost think bitchiness sometimes amongst the, the gays is fine. When people... It's almost like a rite of passage, you know, like taking the piss out of your friends. And mm. like a bit... It's, it's yeah. almost like, a, oh, I get on with them if we can have it. But it's... Sometimes the bitchiness can be, it's not, it's, it's not even fun anymore. Yeah, and also, like, cutting comments are more than fine for your pals. Mm. Like, it is, like you say, like, a way of bonding and getting on with each other, because it's hilarious. It's when strangers are bitchy yeah. gays, and it's like, don't you have a personality beyond that? Like, yeah. You don't know me well enough to, to bitch at me. Yeah. such like that. Yeah. And it is all ridiculous. I always get sometimes a bit upset because I think, you know, as a community, we've all, through history, we've been through so much. Mm. But now I always say, now our rights, yes, they're not perfect, but, mm. well, for the G in LGBTQ, mm. I mean, yeah. now our rights are a lot more, a lot better. We've got equal marriage, there's workplace rights, all that kind of thing. It's almost like the focus now is gays turning in on each other. Rather than that sense of solidarity, sometimes yeah, because the ones the ones that live comfortable, happy lives now blame the ones that don't for their own mistakes. Yeah, rather than it still being a systemic issue. Yeah, um, yeah. So back that, to the film, though. I know we've we've we went we've, off on a bit of a tangent there. Yeah, I do think that it's um, it pointed to a lot of these kind of things that we've been talking about on that tangent just there. Yeah. Um, like <coughs> sex, like drug use, um, like body shaming, like whatever else. And I liked the way it touched on them. But I still... Like, the longer after it that we watched it, it still feels a little bit too be buff or be miserable type storyline yeah like I, I don't see that like, like some queer cinema changes my perspective on things yeah and this didn't or like enriches my life yeah and this did neither of those things which is a bit disappointing having said that I enjoyed it as a film yeah a nice easy watch yeah and it was full of gays so it was funny if you get the jokes yeah yeah I would love to watch this with a straight person who isn't who doesn't have a lot of gay friends, that would be quite funny. Yeah. Because I think you would have a totally different experience. I loved Margaret Cho. Is it Margaret Cho? Yeah. Um, like, everyone seems to be like, oh my God, that's Margaret Cho. I don't really know a lot about her, but I thought she was really funny. What's she out of? Is she a comedian? No, no, but has she been in like, um, all sorts She of has stuff? been in all sorts. She was a guest judge on Drag Race once. Was she? Yeah. Oh, right. But yeah, what did she say? I thought I could smell bottoms. Something that was my like American that. accent, and that, <laughs> made, 
That made me giggle a lot. We're going to resolve never to do accents <laughs> again. <laughs> um, I did, I mean, it's got 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I think the queer content, the bar is low. Yeah, that's the trouble. So, it's like, you know, if it's actually a decent story, people love it. I mean, I don't know how yeah. many people reviewed it, but... The bar is low on queer content for a variety of reasons. But I also, I quite like the charm of, like, low-budget gay cinema. Yeah. Because you're never going to get blockbuster budget with it. Well, not yet. Not yet. Um, but I, I actually, I really, end, you know, we sat down, we put it on the telly. It was definitely a streaming film. Like, yes, we go to the cinema all the time, so I probably would have gone to the cinema to see it if it was out. But it was quite a nice film to just stick on the telly. Oh, yeah, it didn't lose like, anything from no, not being on the big screen. No, it didn't. There was some of the acting I did think was a bit. There was a bit where they all stood around the pool and it really reminded me of like a drag race challenge. Yeah. And somebody said something, they were like, and then another one was like, oh God. And I was like, right, this, <laughs> this scene needs to end now. Really channeling the um, telenovela. Yeah. So, but I actually gave this one three and a half. I gave it three. Yeah. Um, it has a 3.6 average on. Oh, sounds close to the average. So you're sitting about there. Mm. Um, did it pass? Pass? Did pass? Did it pass the Bechdel test? I don't think it did. No, there was only Margaret Shaw. Only one named female character in it. Yeah. Which is fine because it was repre- a lot of other different people were represented, oh, yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. it? Um, and it definitely passed the Vita Russell test. It was one of those. That because it was a th- like a lens on the G in LGBT. Yeah. It had had they put a scene in with a few lesbians talking about lesbian things, it might have just been like, oh shit, we don't pass the Bechdel test. Let's put a scene in. Yeah. And it wouldn't have really made much sense. Yes. Cool. Yeah, that's all I've got to say on that one. Sames. Thought we'd cover at least one gay film in the first episode, so um, that's that's everything. Um, yeah. Do you want to do our yeah our I'm just outro? To find the outro. <laughs> and that's all for this time. <laughs> if you have enjoyed this episode of Gaze on Film, please subscribe, rate, and comment on your podcast platform of choice. Um, don't forget as well to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GazeOnFilmPod. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts, so please do feel free to drop us a message. Uh, I have been Ned, and he has been Declan. I have. And this has been Gaze on Film. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.